Welcome to Land Use Radio, brought to you by the Alberta Land Institute. This is episode one, What Are Property Rights? Your hosts this week are Dave Poulton and Aran Kaplinski, directors at the Alberta Land Institute. For more information, you can visit our website at albertalandinstitute.ca. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Land Use Podcast. My name is Dave Poulton, I'm director of the Alberta Land Institute, and today we're speaking to you from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. It's February 14th, Valentine's Day. This podcast is presented to you by the Alberta Land Institute. We're a group of people based out of the University of Alberta who are passionate about public policy surrounding issues of land management. That means if you're a landowner involved in industry, a conservationist, an environmentalist, or involved in urban planning, we are a home for you. Our research online at albertalandinstitute.ca talks about urban growth, agricultural land, wetland conservation, environmental offsets, property rights, and balancing the needs between economic growth and the environment, and that list continues to grow. Our aim is to conduct research and connect it with public policy here in the province of Alberta. But this podcast and the things we hope to discuss won't be constrained within our province's borders. Land use is, after all, an issue discussed internationally where we can learn lessons from other governments and from research around the world. And we hope that our experience here will be of interest to others uh, as well. Now, hopefully that is whet your appetite. To kick us off on this pilot episode, I have my friend and colleague, Dr. Aran Kaplinski with me today. Iran is our Director of Research here at the ALI and also an Associate Professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Alberta. Thanks for being with us today, Iran. Thanks, Dave. Very excited to be here. So, Iran, several years ago, you co-authored a guide to property rights in Alberta for the Institute. What prompted you to write that? Um, back in 2009, uh, the government had introduced uh, the Alberta Land Stewardship Act, or ALSA, as it is uh, commonly known, uh, which supports the development of regional plans and integrated planning in the province. One section of that act uh, provided that no compensation will be payable to landowners who are affected by a regional plan, and that caused quite a stir. Uh, there were those who claimed that the new legislation had taken away their property rights. Uh, and so together with my colleague, uh, David Percy, um, we wrote a, a guide to set the record straight, so to speak, and to inform the public debate over property rights in Alberta. Okay. Well, let's take a step back. What do we mean when we talk about property and property rights? Well, uh, these are uh, two uh, very um, difficult and loaded terms. Um, I think that a useful way of thinking about property and property rights is in terms of whether your expectations with respect to land and other valuable things are protected by the legal system. Protected from who? Um, well, from the state and also from neighbors and strangers. Uh, for example, um, as a landowner, uh, I have a right to prevent anyone from trespassing on my property, and that includes the government. Um, but that right is not unlimited. Um, as an owner, I also have a right to occupy my land and use it and enjoy it as I see fit. But again, that right is not unlimited. So on those limitations, in the guide you refer to parliamentary sovereignty and contrast it with the constitutional protection of property rights. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, every society um, has a tension between 
the need for collective action uh, to promote the public interest on the one hand and private interests and expectations on the other hand. In many countries, the balance between uh, those competing demands is entrenched in some constitutional document that protects private property from the reach of the majority, usually by requiring that any taking of private property by the state meet some public use test and be accompanied by compensation to the owner. Canada does not offer such uh, constitutional protection of private property. So to just be clear on that point then, um, property rights are not included in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms or otherwise in the Canadian Constitution. No, property rights were left out. Okay, so where would we find it in other documents that have been foundational in our law? Well, sometimes I get questions about the Bill of Rights uh, or even the uh, Magna Carta of uh, 1215. None of these documents prevent a federal or provincial legislature from enacting laws that affect property. So that's what you mean by parliamentary or legislative sovereignty, right? It says that the legislature can pass any laws within its jurisdiction. That's right. Uh, we inherited this principle from the British tradition. And it means in practice that checks and balances over the legislature are political in nature. The government can do anything authorized by the legislation, and an owner has the right to compensation only insofar as provided by statute. So that means that property rights are not a static concept and they are overhauled from time to time or at least evolve as time goes by? Absolutely. Um, property is, um, in, in my view, a, a social institution. It exists to um, promote um, um, needs that evolve from time to time um, in our society um, and then it needs to respond therefore to changing social values, economic developments, technological developments, etc. So, for example, um, thinking of changing social concerns and technologies, the last couple of decades we've seen a very high level of concern around the management of carbon, and we've seen new sorts of property rights come out to deal with carbon credits and, and the right to carbon sequestration as well, right? Is that the type of thing you mean? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great example, um, actually. Um, um, as a result of technological uh, developments and uh, also as a result of the need to sequester carbon. Uh, it turned out that uh, we have a valuable resource in, in the province and that is the pore space in which uh, carbon can be sequestered and therefore it becomes necessary for the law uh, or for the legal system uh, to change and, and define property rights um, to facilitate uh, those sorts of programs. Yeah, and, and I guess another area that we think of where rapidly moving progress is in the area of biosciences and genetics, and, and property rights has to deal with that as well. That's right. It would have been absurd uh, to ask 200 years ago who owns the rights to a genetically modified animal, for example, and these are questions that are very much germane nowadays. So. One of the perennial sources of tension on the Alberta landscape is the relationship of rights to the surface of the land and rights to subsurface minerals. Why is that such a difficult issue and how do we handle it? Well, many settlers in what is now the province of Alberta um, acquired um, property rights above and below the surface, but not necessarily the mineral rights. Uh, in many, uh, in fact, most of the grants, uh, the mineral rights were reserved by the province and are still the property 
of the crown or were uh, conferred on some other uh, entity, usually an energy operator. And that creates tensions between the surface owners um, who um, want to control access to their property and the mineral rights holders who want to exploit those rights. Okay, so how do we handle that? Right. So, Dave, at, at common law, uh, the holder of the mineral rights um, is entitled to access the surface provided that they don't damage it or repair it if they do damage it. But the legal situation in Alberta is different. The holder of the mineral rights must negotiate um, with the surface owner for access. Um, and if the two parties cannot come to an agreement, then the um, operator or the holder of the mineral rights can petition the surface rights board for a right of entry and the surface uh, rights board can provide uh, such an order, but then must uh, provide for compensation to the surface owner. Iran, it's, it's almost a cliche that there are no rights without obligations. So when we're talking about property rights, are we also talking about a, a set of obligations that the landowner takes on? Uh, that's a great uh, question. Uh, I'm not sure I have the answers uh, to that one. But, um, you know, I can, I can pose an interesting uh, problem. Suppose, uh, for example, that I acquired um, a very um, valuable, very important work of art. Um, am I allowed to destroy that piece of art? Can I uh, place it in storage and hide it from the public for, for 50 years? These are questions that the legal system is still grappling with. Okay, so if I can try and wrestle that analogy down to um, a land situation, um, is, is the analogy that a landowner may or may not have some right, some duty of environmental stewardship to protect the ecosystem on the land, to protect the soil quality, and the other things that are of interest to the community? Is that the essence of what you're saying? So these are all um, very interesting um, philosophical questions. Uh, at common law, um, there, is, there are no environmental responsibilities, and this is exactly why um, legislation is, is needed uh, to set out um, the responsibilities of the, uh, of the landowner. So a, a lot of those... Um aspects of public interest are now taken care of through land use planning, either at the municipal level or increasingly here in Alberta from the provincial level. And how does that process of land use planning fit with our concept of private ownership of land? So I would say that um, regulation of private property um, goes back to the middle of the 19th uh, century where you see um, fire and building um, codes and standards introduced in the name of the public interest. Then uh, early in the 20th century, we see um, land use regulations, um, zoning codes, uh, and things that we've now come to expect. Um, and then later on, uh, environmental concerns um, lead to uh, further regulations. So one of the subjects that there's a lot of public interest in these days is the environment, and in particular, the role that private landowners can play in either protecting or degrading the environment. So do landowners have any obligation of environmental stewardship in the way that they treat their land? So the obligations of landowners are uh, set by legislation. 
and um, it is quite easy to um, restrict landowners from doing certain things that are harmful um, to the public interest. It's more difficult to impose positive obligations on landowners, and usually the government's response is by uh, possibly incentivizing uh, good behavior. Um, and that's with economic incentives and, uh, and arranging for people that do the right thing to be rewarded and those that engage in less desirable behavior to be penalized in some way, but not in a, not in a legal sanction, but, but by through, through some incentive structure. And, and I think that's probably the future of uh, stewardship, um, trying to understand the costs and benefits of um, alternative decisions and putting in place the right incentives uh, for individuals as well as for the government to sort of do the right thing. Yeah, no doubt we'll be talking about that in a future podcast because it's a major concern here at the ALI, a major point so. of interest. Um, I want to talk about wetlands because it's a, a fairly high priority issue now in Alberta and something that's of quite high importance. Now, according to our Public Lands Act, um, the province owns all naturally occurring permanent water bodies, which includes wetlands, but there's an awful lot of rural landowners that have wetlands in their fields and feel some uh, right to uh, make use of that land uh, according to their wishes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that conflict and the, the tension that it's creating? Right. So uh, the benefits of um, wetlands have only recently come to be understood uh, more fully. Um, and now we're struggling to conserve and protect them. And one of the issues is that uh, wetlands um, are often um, on uh, private property. And it becomes uh, um, a question of public policy. How should the burden of conservation be distributed? Um, I mean, it's not my fault that there's a huge wetland on, on my property and, and my, my neighbor doesn't. So why aren't our obligations distributed more fairly? And I think um, that applies more broadly to the burden of um, conservation and environmental stewardship. How does the government um, adjust the rights and responsibilities so that they are um, equitable and perceived to be um, equitable. Mm -hmm. But that situation is complicated by the fact that the wetland may be situated on somebody's property, but it is not part of their property. It is specifically exempted out by law. It is specifically and exempted. To quote Donald Trump, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> yes. And um, I, but, but wetlands is just one, one example. Um, protected species um, are um, another example. Um, whether um, your property also happens to be habitat for a protected uh, species. Mm -hmm. So to get back to our earlier discussion, these are all things for our legislators to deal with and to make laws to clarify those obligations. That's right. And, and doing that in a way that meets private expectations is uh, not an easy, an easy thing to do. No. But it does raise this question. I know that you, you hear this term from time to time about takings and, uh, and so on, which I believe is something that's, that is imported from American law, although not into Canadian law. Um, 
And can you can you talk about that and the the rights of compensation that Canadians have when uh, when um, government um... interferes with with private property? Yeah. So um, to go back to our early conversation, a government um, can only do uh, what it is authorized to do by statute. And that can be a, um, a taking of property, um, or as we call it here, expropriation, but it can also be regulation. And we have an unusual situation in Canada uh, whereby there is a statute that provides an explicit right of compensation when the government takes your uh, property legally becomes the owner. You get a, a letter saying uh, your land is now uh, the our property. Land. Our land, yes. Uh, here's the compensation that will be payable to you. And there's a process in place to um, to ensure that the uh, expropriation is expedient uh, and the process in place to uh, make sure that the property owner is duly compensated. But if the government imposes severe regulations on property, what then? Should should the property owner be compensated then? You're talking about if the government doesn't actually take ownership, just heavily regulates. That's right. That's right. Now, in other jurisdictions, um, if um, the regulation goes too far, uh, the property owner is entitled to compensation. But that is not the situation in Canada um, as the Supreme Court of Canada uh, interpreted uh, it, um, but rather there needs to be um, a denial of all private uses in addition to something else um, to entitle the, the property owner to compensation. Uh, to put it plainly, uh, the, the threshold for uh, compensation for regulation in Canada is very high and there have been very, very few cases in which an owner succeeded in claiming compensation because of mere regulations, ones that did not involve the actual taking of title by the government. Right. So to, to give a concrete example of that, if I, if I own a ranch, let's make it a really dramatic example. Say I, the ranch has been in my family for five generations and we consider ourselves to be cattlemen, um, but the, the about province and this is only a hypothetical example, all you ranchers out there. Um, but if we're to pass a regulation saying that we could no longer run cattle on our land, but could do other things, um, we, we would have to accept that and adapt. We wouldn't be entitled to compensation. Well, Dave, I'm not allowed to give legal advice here. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, um, the court would have to try and produce a, a list of the reasonable private uses of the land. And only if it finds that you have been left with none of these reasonable private uses, only then, and that would be just a minimum threshold, only then could you uh, potentially succeed in claiming uh, compensation. I've got other plans. That That's not determinative of the issue by any means. No. So as co-author of the, the Guide to Property Rights that is available, by the way, on the Alberta Land Institute website. Um, and you, you've had occasion to talk to a lot of people who might not have had any previous exposure to this notion. And you're also, uh, I know you teach a first year property rights class at the University of Alberta here in law school. That's one of my many sins. Yes, and I remember with great pain being exposed, my first exposure to property rights. And, um, but through those two venues, you've got a lot of experience in talking to people 
um, and, and breaking misconceptions and, and educating them about property rights. And I wonder what you find are the most common misconceptions that you hear? I'd have to say uh, the most common misconception about property is um, about what property rights are and where they are derived from. Um, there is um, a misunderstanding of the constitutional uh, system um, in, in Canada uh, and um, this notion that uh, the government is um, some, somehow precluded from doing some of the things that it has been uh, doing. Okay, so we've kind of danced around a, a question here that's been debated in the public a fair amount. A lot of people think that we would, it would be an advance for us to include property rights in the Canadian Constitution, specifically in the, the Charter. Um, do you think that would be a step forward? Well, it may or may not be too late or, or, or feasible, um, but the question is um, what is to be achieved by constitutionalizing um, property rights? Um, in, um, in some sense, um, I think Albertans are uh, fairly secure in their property rights. I mean, if the, if the big bad government comes tomorrow and takes your property, the statute guarantees um, your compensation. Um, and it's true that the legislature um, can take away that right if they chose to, but the reality is that they haven't. Um, in terms of regulation, um, I'd have to say that there are some instances of regulation in Canada where property owners are not compensated, where they would be in other jurisdictions, but these are fairly rare. Um, Typically, um, um, when you suffer the most egregious forms of uh, interference with property rights, you will be duly compensated. Yes. And I think it's important to look at these questions also in the context of our actual experience, right? We, we know that the government is not running roughshod over, over people's property, that in fact, most Albertans live very secure lives on very secure property. Um, I think that uh, experience has shown that the political checks and balances have been um, sufficient to protect uh, property rights and Albertans um, can feel very secure uh, in their property rights uh, for the most part. But it is true that uh, there are some intrusions that are tolerated in Canada that would not be tolerated um, elsewhere. And the question is, um, is that acceptable? So that raises the question about whether or not the ownership of land in particular is something that can be properly compensated for in money. There's a lot of characteristics about land that people feel very attached to. It's their home, it's part of their community, it may be where they were raised, and the prospect that, and, and they may have built their life's dreams around a piece of land. And then the prospect that that may be taken away from them in return for a check, even a big check, leaves a lot of people feeling unsettled. Um, the, the, the common law um, used to measure compensation in the following way. What would the owner pay rather than suffer the loss of the property? So that's very subjective um, and it's proven um, somewhat difficult to apply. And so we because there's no way to know it, right? You you ask them what he would pay, and they're going to name an outrageous figure. 
Well, um, you don't ask the owner, um, but um, the court has to engage in this exercise. What, what, do, what do we think this particular owner would pay rather than suffer the loss? And we would have to take into account all of those things that you mentioned, you know, uh, how long they've owned the property, the kind of personal relationship they have with it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but again, that, that system um, is a little more costly and therefore um, our legislation calls for um, market value uh, compensation. So um, what the, the property um, would be worth uh, in the market if sold um, by a willing seller to a willing buyer. So the land then is treated as a market commodity and all those individual subjective um, memories sentiments, hopes and dreams, they kind of get washed away in that process. Uh, to some degree, but uh, uh, in addition to the market value, uh, the owner would get um, disturbance uh, damages, you know, for costs of relocating a business or um, other things that are meant to emulate the subjective values, but don't get quite as close or, or not, not perfectly. So before we wrap up, Iran, if you could deliver one message to the Alberta legislature, to Alberta landowners, that doesn't have to be the same message to the two of them, what, what would that message be? Wow, what a great question. Uh, to the legislators, I'd have to remind that compensation uh, serves um, not just um, a purpose of equity, but also of uh, accountability. Uh, it really forces the decision maker to confront the full costs and as well as the benefits of their policy choices. Um, and to Albertans, I have to say, um, given that um, the checks and balances um, are political in nature, uh, how important it is to uh, take an active part in public debate over uh, environmental measures, uh, social programs, um, etc., and of course uh, to vote when uh, in, in the uh, next elections. A great reminder of uh, all our uh, our duty as citizens. So, with that, I think we'll wrap up this podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you found this episode interesting and that you'll be tuning in again in the future. We hope to release the, this new podcast on a monthly basis. You can find us at the Apple Store, on SoundCloud, at our website at albertalandinstitute.ca. That's all one word. And we will be posting videos of our podcasts online over at YouTube. If you're listening, don't forget to give us a rating and leave your comments. If there's an issue you think we should dive into or a speaker we should bring in, you can email us at albertalandinstitute at ualberta.ca. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.